Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. And welcome back to Phoenix Concussion Recovery Podcast with Concussion Talk. Nick has us coming back today to talk about persistent postural perceptual dizziness, or 3PD, which is a newer term for chronic dizziness. Thanks for having me, Nick. Oh, thanks for coming on. And that's a new 3PD, and I wrote and wrote my up my little uh, post of the podcast. I wrote just chronic dizziness, so I got to change that now because. 3PD. What's a persistent? Persistent postural perceptual dizziness. Persistent postural perceptual dizziness. Mm-hmm. That's way or better. Chronic, chronic dizziness. <laughs> yeah, well, pers- persistent perceptual, persistent postural perce- perceptual dizziness. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. First, though, if we're, you get talking about that, which sounds actually, that sounds very interesting. I'm going to thank our sponsor, Head Check Health. Head to Health bridges the gaps in concussion care through simple and powerful technology. You can join organizations like the Canadian Football Canadian Football League, Tech Factory Racing, the Canadian Junior Hockey League, Eastern Washington University, and Volleyball Canada, who rely on Head to Health to improve their communication and optimize care. If you visit HeadToHealth.com, you can find out more. So, uh, with that out of the way. Now I will get Lauren. You can talk about postural, postural. Uh, one second, one second. Postural, three feet That's right. We we always make things know, easy in medicine. I know. I know. I know. Postural perceptual position. Postural persistent. Persistent. That's the one. Persistent. Postural persistent. Or triple PD, three PD. Three PD is just too easy though. So <laughs> we forgot a bunch of before this podcast. One and I forgot a bunch of other stuff too about <laughs> on the unrelated subjects, but uh, about groups of groups of animals. But we There's groups of out. animals. Groups of animals, but uh, we know what I'll call it now. Not <laughs> animals, but. anyway, uh, not no no three PD, but all the Lauren good three PD. So. Lauren, please tell them, teach me about 3PD. 
So chronic dizziness has been around forever, and it's had a ton of different names over time. But there's this group of people, the Baronet Society, who got together in 2010 and started looking into consolidating all these terms. Sorry, so the, in 20, sorry, the, the Baronet Society. It's a, uh, a, I believe, a French word, Baronet. It has oh, little yeah. accents, accent aigus over oh, the yeah. A's. Oh, <laughs> but uh, so 2014. Oh, B is a B R N I E R. B A R A N A Y. Okay, we'll do this way off. Right. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. So uh, in 2014, they all got together and they consolidated on this 3PD term. So they got rid of all the other old names like chronic subjective dizziness or phobic postural vertigo, and they came up with this one name. And then it was actually added by the World Health Organization in 2017 to the ICD-11. So it's now an official code um, in the ICD-11s. So it's becoming more represented in the oh, research. We're becoming. What are ICD-11s? Um, so any type of injury that you have has a specific code, and the World Health Organization comes up with a concentrated way for all of us to communicate the same. So like in concussion, it would be S06.0. Uh, and then it would be a different last three codes, depending on if there was a loss of consciousness or not, or if it was an initial injury or a long-term injury or things like that. So the um, it's just a list of diagnoses, basically. Oh, okay. All right. Thanks. Okay. But it's a big deal when something gets added um, to that list. So basically, now that there's an, there's an actual ICD code for it, there's a name for it, they're starting to do more and more research because it's a huge problem in the vestibular world, and I believe especially with head injuries, and we're going to talk about why that is and all the triggers that make someone go to chronic dizziness, um, but you can see how they overlay w with concussion and other types of TBI. Um, so people who have chronic dizziness, it's really important that they know that they're not alone. So a lot of times these patients are afraid of their dizziness. They feel like they're just not getting better. There's no answer for them. You really have to seek out a provider who's done extra work to look into these types of things and how to treat them because there's very successful but specific treatments that need to be done for people with 3PD. So one quarter of all people with any type of vestibular incident will develop or start to trend towards 3PD. So if you had an episode of vertigo or other types of injuries, one quarter of all people are going to have that transfer from acute to chronic dizziness even after their initial injury resolves. So let's say you had vertigo, BPPV, and then you got treatment for it, but you still had that fear component. Even though your BPPV has resolved, you could still have chronic dizziness because of this change to the 3PD. So as okay. we go through it all, it'll make sense why that happens. Okay, because you're asking the transition from acute to chronic. Mm -hmm. I, I had after my brain injury. I had, right. I've, I've had double vision, so and I figured that's the major cause of my business. Um, you also explain all that. So that that's part of that. That that would include that would be including in. Yeah, for sure, and people okay. with traumatic brain injury are going to have layers. You know, part of the problem whenever we start to talk about TBI versus traditional vestibular disorders is that that patient group is always going to have more layers. Like for you, you have your cranial nerve injury, so you also have a vision problem. Mm -hmm. So now you can't even use some of the strategies that you would to compensate for vestibular loss. So mm -hmm. I think that as soon as you start deviating away from traditional vestibular and into the head injury world, it, the water becomes very murky and it becomes a lot harder um, to, for them to do research on because you can't isolate variables as well right. when people have all these extra layers. Right. That makes a lot of sense. 
So it's, it's really common. Like I said, it's a quarter of all people. But what's even more fascinating is that when they looked at what's called a tertiary clinic, so um, an outside clinic that treats vestibular conditions, 15 to 20% of all patients that were admitted to those facilities qualify for these old terms, phobic postural vertigo or chronic subjective dizziness. So 15 to 20% of all patients in a vestibular clinic are going to be trending towards or diagnosed with this 3PD diagnosis. So it's really common. It's important that the, the, the number one piece is this fear component. So people understanding that they're not alone and that there are treatment regimens being formed that are very successful for fixing this problem. Wow. So there's three key factors. So when we talk about some, some diagnosis in medicine is a diagnosis of exclusion, meaning we make sure you don't have a whole bunch of other things and then we just label you as something else, like fibromyalgia, for instance. Right. But, and, and people might argue with me about that, but that's how I personally feel about fibromyalgia. Um, but uh, when we talk about 3PD, it is not a diagnosis of exclusion. So it's really important that it's not that you're being labeled something because your provider can't figure out what's wrong with you. There's actually a really explicit criteria that you have to meet in order to be diagnosed with 3PD. And you might have 3PD and other diagnoses at the same time. So you, there's a lot of overlap with this one. There's a lot of psychological implications with this one. It's not easy and cut and dry, but once you start to figure out the patterns and you understand the diagnostic criteria, it becomes more simple to figure out. So there's the three key factors. So part A is the most important they have to have one or more symptoms of dizziness that is non-vertiginous in nature, meaning that they are not spinny dizziness. I sit up in bed in the morning and I get the world spinning. That is not 3PD. That's probably something else, most likely vertigo going on. So they'll have unsteadiness. They'll feel lightheaded. They'll feel like they are sort of dissociated or floating or foggy. They can't really describe their dizziness. I don't know. I just feel like I'm moving on a boat when I'm sitting still. I am, you know, disoriented when I'm walking. I feel like my head is floating off my body. So they're going to have these weird symptoms of dizziness that they can't really describe very well. And it has to be most days for at least three months. So they're kind of saying 24 seven. So it's, it's long-term more than three months. If someone comes in the clinic and they're six weeks out, right? They're only a month and a half out, but they've got all these signs. You could say something like trending towards 3PD and you could still treat them the way you would treat them for 3PD, but they can't diagnose, they they can't be labeled 3PD until it's been three months or more. And it's going to wax and wane throughout the day. So it's episodic in nature. So this is a person who's dizzy basically every day throughout the day, doesn't really know what their triggers are, doesn't really know how to describe their dizziness, but it's constant. I'm always dizzy. I'm dizzy just sitting here talking to you about my dizziness. That's the kind of things that a patient will say to you. Part B is that the symptoms have to be persistent, but without a specific provocation. So this, again, this person says, I'm not really sure what it is that triggers my dizziness. And then as you start to talk to them more, you can help them figure it out. The number one trigger is usually exposure to visual stimuli or complex visual patterns. This is the person that says, I really struggle in the mall when it's busy on a Sunday, or I'm really struggle to go down an escalator. I don't know where to put my feet. Um, they might say that when someone bumps into them, they get really an exacerbated loss of balance, right? So these people are, are really challenged on busy carpets. Um, I went to the hotel and I was trying to walk on that crazy carpet they use to, <laughs> to hide all the dirt, right? Mm-hmm. And I get dizzy when I walk on that type of surface or transitioning from tile to wood or things like that. So they're going to have a lot of visual input that triggers their 
dizziness. It's going to be a lot of the time in low risk situation. So when I'm standing up, I'm just standing there watching someone hang a picture on the wall and I can feel myself swaying. So that up, upright posture is a trigger for their dizziness. And then active or passive motion, but without a direction dependence. So if you have a true loss on your right side, if you have a hypofunction on the right side, you're going to tell me that you're dizzy mostly in, in a directional dependent position, right? But these people are going to say, it doesn't matter if I'm turning left, if I'm turning right, if I'm bending over, if I'm looking up at the ceiling, if I'm sitting in a car, I have the same type of dizziness. So they'll get dizzy just walking up and down a hallway. They'll get dizzy riding in the car as a passenger. They just say it's all the time. It comes out of nowhere. I'm always dizzy. So that's part B. And then part C is that there has to be a triggering event. So it doesn't really just crop up out of nowhere. You can always identify or almost always identify what that precipitating event was. The majority of the time, 25% of the time, it's an acute or chronic vestibular syndrome. So I got an inner ear infection and I had damage to my right vestibular nerve and that has become a chronic problem um, over time. Or I had vertigo a month ago and now I'm dizzy all the time and I can't figure out why. 20% is going to be migraines, and that is one of the most co common coexisting diagnoses. So there's the precipitating fact of migraines, but then also, like I said, there's a lot of overlap with these people. So um, anxiety and migraine are going to be the most common coexisting diagnoses as well. Okay, but not down cause, like a migraine or, or uh, anxiety won't cause the dizziness. It'll just be, it'll just coexist. No, both. Good, yeah. So 25% is going to be these acute or chronic vestibular problems. 20% is going to be migraines. 15% is going to be anxiety. 15% is going to be TBI and whiplash. And then the remaining 10% is like autonomic problems, which we actually talked about in our previous podcast. So go back and check out yeah, autonomic dysregulation, dysautonomia. Um, and then there's other, there's 3% left over like arrhythmias and, and drug reactions. So the majority of them are going to be our TBI population, anxiety, migraines, and then the traditional vestibular people. But also people who have 3PD will also have a high coexistence of migraines and anxiety. So those migraines and anxiety can trigger or they can also just be a coexisting problem at the same time. So it gets really kind of murky and you have to make sure yeah. that the person treating you is looking at you as a whole person, not just looking at you in a box. No, no, I can see how that would be like, because I feel like when you were saying part B, part B is where I feel like the visual cues is where I, my double vision, that's why I find, and I don't find Part C, I don't really find much of the, but I do have a TBI. I don't find, I don't find much of just regular, I don't like headaches or anxiety, which mm -hmm. I don't have, but I do have a TBI. So I'm kind of within that. And, I'm, and when I change, like I said, I can part B, like you were saying, like when I change, well, not, it used to be worse when I change surfaces. And when I, when I turned my head, like to look left, that'd be worse. But this will be, I'm more part B. I have symptoms of part C. And part A, eh, eh, a bit, but uh, yeah. So you wouldn't technically qualify for 3PD then? Yeah, no, I don't have it every day. I'm not like, mm -hmm. I, I do get it every day when I do those tricking events, tricking events, but uh, I want to turn quickly or something. But I don't, like, so I'm sitting here talking to you now. I'm not dizzy. Right. And, uh, and, um, and, you know, so. and you have to have all the parts. So there's all actually right. five different parts, but the top three. But um, it's the dizziness throughout the day, waxing and waning, 
that they have this non-specific provocation. They had a triggering event of some sort. So you have to have you have to fit each box in order to be um, diagnosed with 3PD. So that's a great right. that's a great point, right? Because you do have some dizziness, you do have vision yeah. problems, but yeah. you probably don't fit the qualifications for 3PD because you're missing right. some of the key boxes. But the like as we get the concussion, 3PD concussion can cause it, or is it an important coexisting factor? Yeah, so for Part C, what's the triggering event? 15% of all people who have 3PD, their triggering event will be their TBI. Right, okay. So you had this acute injury of either a vestibular problem, migraine, anxiety, TBI, and then for whatever reason, you transition to this chronic dizziness even after the pathology has gone away. So what happens with these people is they have this precipitating event, and what should happen is they're in this heightened alert. They're in using high-risk strategies. They shorten their gait. They walk a little more safely. We treat them. The problem goes away, and the person goes off into the sunset on their white horse and enjoys their life, right? That's yeah. the normal. That's 75%. But um, one how long quarter. Is this, this treatment? What, what, um, you get that after, I guess. Yeah, treatment for 3PD, it, the, the research is varying right now. Um, yeah. I have one study that I'll, I'll quote at the end when we talk about the uh, yeah. approach. But they don't, you know, they're, they're starting to build. But you have to have been dizzy for three months before. So it's not like yeah. it's a short process, right? And then people yeah. have developed a lot of bad behaviors in that amount of time. Yeah. Um, so, so the people will have this acute issue. And then the actual problem goes away. But the person stays, their nervous system, one quarter of all people with these issues, one quarter of all people will have 3PD, and those are the people where their nervous system stays on high alert and overly sensitive even after the pathology has gone away. So they had this BPPV, the BPPV has resolved, the vertigo has resolved, but they are still having this dizziness because their nervous system has stayed heightened and alert. So these people will have gait problems, they'll have excess arm swing, they'll have more of a shuffled gait, and it's worse in low um, input situations. So if they are balancing on a dyna disc and doing a high-level activity, they'll actually use more appropriate strategies. But when they're just walking, particularly in a busy environment, you'll see them kind of shut down and they'll be phobic, they'll be fearful. And the dyna disc is a physio, dead, like swivel disc, is that what dyna disc is? It's like a little di a plastic disc filled with air. But yeah, same thing if okay. they were on a swivel disc or if they okay. were on a BOSU. So the higher difficulty the, the activity is, the better they'll do with their balance. The lower difficulty the activity is, like just standing or walking, the worse they're going to do proportionately with their balance. Well, not, when they're, they're not concentrating. When they're not, and if they're distracted, they'll do better. Mm -hmm. yeah. So one of the techniques you would use in the treatment is to use high levels of distraction. So I'm going to have you stand here with your feet together on a firm surface with your eyes closed. These people will sway all over the place. They'll be using their arms, yeah. totally inappropriate strategies. They're very fearful, phobic. Um, and then if you distract them, you'll actually see their postural reactions start to normalize. So there's a big uh, nervous system hypersensitivity anxiety component to these people. So Doesn't mean that they're just crazy and anxious. It's yeah. just that that's the way they're wired sort of well, thing. It just means like do that and like adapt up it backwards or something like that. Or mm -hmm. tell, me, tell me like your favorite, tell me your favorite story from your Christmas vacation or whatever. 
Yeah. And they're doing some research to see, like, are certain types of distractions more effective than others? I've actually found that even just talking to the patient, like, what are your kids up to this yeah. week? And they start yeah. telling you, you know, they're thinking about something else. And even that seems to work really well. And then afterwards, they get off the exercise device and I'll say something like, um, you know, how did you feel once we started talking? Oh, you know what? I felt a lot better. Okay, well, that's a great segue to talk to you about 3PD yeah. and how that, you know. So the education piece and how to broach people is a, is a really important skill that we all have to learn as well so um, so these people have these gait impairments they're going to have this fear avoidance behavior and then we get to part D so part D is that the symptoms cause significant distress or functional impairment it's not the people who are like I'm dizzy all day but you know what whatever I still ski I still go to school I'm not having any problems I don't even know why I'm here I'm fine these are the people who are afraid of falling. They have anticipatory anxiety. Oh no, I can't even I can't even sit on the table like that for you because I'm definitely going to get dizzy. I can't even yeah. I can't even think about doing that exercise. I went to this other vestibular clinic and they made me turn my head from side to side repeatedly and I yeah. I'm not going to do those exercises. It's yeah. those yeah. people, right? Yeah. It's the people yeah. who are fearful. I'm not going to drive my car because I don't feel safe or, you know, I can only drive the car and I can't be a passenger because I get so sick. So it's yeah. these people have this phobic. They have learned, they've been conditioned to what they can and cannot do because they have this distress, but also a functional impairment. And then part E, although it is not a diagnosis of exclusion, Part E is that the symptoms are not better accounted for by another diagnosis. So I don't want someone coming in with chronic episodic vertigo. I do my rolls, it goes away. Three months later, it comes back. I do my rolls, it goes away. That is not a person I should be treating for 3PD. That's a person that I should be getting on a really good independent maintenance program, right? So just because they have dizziness on and off doesn't mean that 3PD is the only diagnosis. So we want to make sure that we're looking at the whole person, we're making sure that their symptoms can't be accounted for by something else, but also they have to meet all of the previous parts. They have to meet part A, B, C, and D in order to be diagnosed 3PD, but you could always say trending towards, and you could always use some of these treatment strategies with someone who doesn't meet all of the criteria. You just can't go labeling people willy-nilly because you can't figure out what else is wrong with them. Yeah, okay. it's a good, good plan. Yeah. So how and why did this happen to you, right? So you, let's say you're a listener and you are in the quarter of people, you had probably a TBI or a concussion if you're listening to this podcast and you are struggling, you've been to a couple different providers and you can't figure out what's wrong with you and you're starting to think you're a completely insane person, right? And unfortunately that describes a lot of people that we end up seeing yeah. in the clinic. Yeah. So there's three key factors, and again, this is areas where the research is still growing, right? We were only just labeled in 2014. We only just got an actual diagnosis code in 2017. So this is all new and exciting information. Um, I only just learned about this a few months ago. I mean, we always had some treatment strategies, but now understanding the science makes it make a little more sense. Yeah. Um, so the, the number one factor is these people have this stiffened postural control. So they use these high-risk strategies like we've talked about. Um, they were able to show this on EMG studies. So they showed on these studies that people did better in high-level activities but got dizzy and lost their balance on easier tasks. So I lose normal postural control in low-level activities. They become visually dependent. So there's a shift in processing for spatial orientation. So basically what happens is 
the patient starts to rely more heavily on visual input than they do vestibular input. The brain learns to just not trust what the inner ear is telling the brain. And so the third, there's only three systems for balance, right? Well, that's not really true, but there's three main systems for balance. There's your postural system, your, your proprioception. There is your visual system and there's your vestibular system. And so if one is deficient, the other two have to be stronger. And so we rely more heavily on our visual input, which is why they do so poorly with visual stimulus, busy carpets, things like that. And that, that's why long term they're, 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 they're better. They're, they're worse. What's your, your thing, thing you're saying? They're, they're better with, well, they're better when they're, when they're distracted because they don't rely on their visuals much, I wouldn't think. Yeah, and also, so when you distract someone, when you add cognitive loading, they have to use those higher cortices in their brain. Yeah. And so you're starting to normalize. If your brain is only focusing on this one thing and it's hypervigilant, if you distract it and you take away focus to something else, it sort of evens the playing field, if you will. Yeah. So these people are... Um, um, and then number three is that there is um, a loss of this top-down processing, which is what we just talked about. So this main computer system, the cortex of our brain, stops modulating the postural control and the visual dependence or the, the spatial orientation. So the first one is that we get that stiffened postural control. The second one is that we start to rely on our visual system instead of our vestibular input. And the third one is that we don't have this cortex processing to modulate these other two systems. So basically we get the train goes off the rails and it is just full barrel ahead in the wrong direction. Yeah, right? yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then why that happens, they don't really know, but there's two really strong theories. One is this Pavlovian, uh, Pavlovian conditioning, so basically the anxiety component. I yeah. know that if I do X, I'm going to get dizzy and it's going to ruin my life for two days, right. yeah. so I'm going to avoid doing that. And the more that you bridge that, the more that those nerves that um, fire together, wire together. So the more that I am fearful of something or the more that I avoid something, the more exacerbated my symptoms become. So I become conditioned to my dizziness and my brain becomes more effective at feeling dizzy and being on high alert. And then number two is that there's actual pathophysiology to explain why this is happening, but we don't know enough yet. They know that there are changes in this firing system in our brain where areas of our brain are not communicating with each other the way that they used to. So we end up with structural changes in our brain and conditioning, which results in these functional deficits and these subjective complaints of dizziness. Does that all make sense? That makes sense to me. I mean, I'm trying to think of my... My own situation, but I don't have, I don't have three PD. I don't have postural pers persistent, postural persistent, perceptual, percep perceptual persistent, post postural persistent, <laughs> yeah. Three postural, PD. <laughs> postural perceptual persistent or persistent. Which one's first, perceptual or persistent? Postural perceptual dizziness. So I perceive myself to be dizzy most of the day, all day. But when is persistent, though? Which P is persistent? Persistent is first. So it's persistent, persistent postural per perceptual dizziness. Okay, there you go. That, that's <laughs> what... See, that, that's what I'm going for me getting confused. But which one came first? <laughs> Had the wrong one first. Messed up my whole, my whole thing. Is that's lots of Pavlovian thing. I knew about that. I, uh, you're never gonna get it right now. You're too. Conditioned react, reacted, to say it reacted to the uh, the postural, and then I 
getting messed up so they can figure out which one they came next. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, that makes makes sense to me. And uh, so we're gonna people... keep moving forward then. Yes. Okay. All right. So sixty um, percent. Oh. So so this is the tough part of the conversation because people don't. At least in the United States, there's a lot of stigma still around mental health, although it's starting to improve a little bit. People feel like – I'm sorry? There is everywhere, everywhere, I think. There's still that stigma. Yeah. And yeah. Um, people think you're calling them crazy. You're not. It just so happens that the statistics don't lie. 60% of people who have 3PD are going to have anxiety, and 45% are going to have depression as coexisting issues that we need to make sure we're treating the whole person, or these people won't get better. So the people who are resistant when we refer them for this psychological training, the cognitive behavioral therapy and EMDR, which we also did a podcast on in the past, so you can you go ahead and do. check out that podcast there to, to talk about yeah talk therapy versus therapy that has really good research behind it. Um, but basically, it, it makes sense, right? So this this is like a, if a patient comes in and they're two years after their concussion and no one's helped them and their life is completely different than it was before, and you ask them about mood changes and they are embarrassed to say yes, what I usually say to the patient is, well, I would be very concerned about you if you didn't, right? Yeah, I mean, your life yeah. has been different for two years. If yeah. you didn't have some sort of anxiety or depression around that, that you would be actually very strange in comparison yeah. to the people who are having those additional problems, right? Yeah, um, be- because your your life has been altered. You've been, in this case with 3PD, you've been dizzy and you've had a loss of low-level function for at least three months or more. Um, and so, of course, you're going to have anxiety and depression. I don't I don't think that that's a negative. I just think it's a fact and, and we have to be open to treating all aspects. There are 25% of people um, with 3PD who have no psychiatric comorbidity. Obviously, those people will be little bit easier to treat because there's less layers um but it does exist it's a low percentage but it does exist and comorbidity just to just be i know comorbidity just we know other pathologies no other diseases or indications right um comorbidity would mean like i have two things going on at the same time so like i have heart disease and i have diabetes so diabetes would be a comorbidity of heart disease kind of thing right yeah okay so they have 3PD and they have something else at the same time. Yeah. Um, So there's predisposing factors, they believe. So um, they believe that body hypervigilance, catastrophizing, levels of anxiety, and there's actually um, five personality traits. People who are more neurotic and introverted tend to fall in the 3PD bucket more so than extroverted personality types. So there's a couple different studies that have been done where they talk about these things and I believe it was the study by Dietrich and Stab who talk about the personality types. Um, one of the other studies that uh, we, we learned about this through was Dunlap et al. and that one was from 2018. The study by Dietrich is from 2017 and then there's a study by uh, Popkarov <laughs> and at <at-all>. all <laughs> from 2018. So there's some really good studies out there now that that describe all of this. If if we've totally lost you today, but so, so um, there's the social uh, socializing aspect to it. Yeah, so there's people, just like we know, people who are more likely to have long-term recovery from a concussion tend to fit that anxiety bucket, people with a history of ADD, women. We know that there are predisposing factors to different types of diagnoses, and so a predisposing factor for this conversion from acute to chronic, early to long-term with 3PD, are people who tend to have these different personality traits. They tend to ride that anxiety line already before they got dizzy. Um, Once they become dizzy, they have this 
catastrophizing type behavior. They have this hypervigilance. They're the people who kind of clamp down when they get nervous and they stop moving or they have this yeah. um, freezing gait pattern or they, they stall their movement. So there's some predisposing factors to how people handle things that make them more likely to end up in the, um, the long-term boat. But the good news is there's really good research coming out about how to treat these people. What are the best options? So the research is leaning towards a, uh, a three-pronged approach. And if you do not do these three things, people do not have as good of outcomes. So it's really important that you can get the patient to buy in on all three. Two of them are much harder to get patients to buy into than the one. The easy one is vestibular rehabilitation. So you come in, you see somebody like myself, we educate you about what the disease is. Knowledge is power. So the most important thing I can do is educate you why you're dizzy. Something similar to this podcast, maybe a little bit shorter and more efficient, but regardless, we would, te we would teach you about the, uh, the dizziness. We would start to teach you to trust your postural reaction. So what you'll see is a patient is um, marching on some foam with their eyes closed, which is actually a, a pretty dynamic exercise, right? And the average person is going to have some losses of balance. They're going to kind of stagger step a little bit every once in a while. But these people are going to be flailing. Their arms are going all over the place. Their, their knees are buckling. They're having really inappropriate strategies. And so you start to cue them, use your ankles, trust your muscles. We, I need you to exude some confidence. I need you to believe in your muscles. Okay, as you get close to the edge, can you feel the edge start to move backwards? And so not only are you working on their balance and their postural control, but you're also educating them and, and guiding them. Okay, and then um, also we would do our habituation therapy. So there's three types of vestibular rehab. But the habituation therapy is going to be really important for these people because you need to get them used to different types of situations and stimuli. So I need to get you used to, it's okay to unload the dishwasher. Um, I need you to do that type of motion. Let's start with three times every day, twice a day, and then let's go to five times. So you have to start really slow with these people because they have all this maladaptive strategies that they've built. They have all this fear and phobia. So if I just have you start with 20 reps... The bomb's so you're gonna, gonna fall you're out gonna of the unload bag. the dishwasher. You're gonna unload the dishwasher five times a day. <laughs> no, okay. but this similar motion, right? So what are, what are they? What are they and eating? And unloading the whole dishwasher might be too much. Maybe you need to unload, you know, a quarter of it, and then come back and unload some more of it. Right. So it just kind of depends on the person. But but essentially, what you're doing is you're finding things that trigger their dizziness, and you're habituating them to it. You're getting their brain used to it again and building confidence. The two that are harder to get patients to comply with is the cognitive behavioral therapy. Again, we've already done a podcast on that, but it's the education, it's the grounding cues, teaching them about their fear component and how to manage that. And then the medication, and patients are often very resistant to the medication. They don't want to be put on antidepressants. What's important to know is that it's very low dosages. So we're not treating you with antidepressants and then faking treatment for everything else, and we just think you're crazy. We're using these antidepressants or these SSRIs and SNRI. Those are the two drug classes, SNRI and SSRI, which have the best research to support them. It actually helps to calm the nervous system. So that's why we're using it. We're using it to assist therapy. And they actually start with half the dosages of what you would use for depression and you build from there. Often people have to try more than one drug class. So it's not easy. Um, it's usually that you try the number one supported by the research and I'm a PT so I can't talk too much about that but you start with the number one and then they might try to the second level drug class and then the third until they find something that works for you. And you have to remember that it takes several weeks for these types of medications to start to work. So um, you need to have the medication involved, the vestibular therapy, 
and the cognitive behavioral therapy if you want to have a good outcome. And they had a study where they did these three things and they found a 78% reduction in dizziness with this three-pronged approach that lasted over the one to three years that they followed up with patients. So highly successful when you think about these patients who have traditionally been very difficult to treat. They found that it took three to six visits if you were early on in your diagnosis and eight to 12 visits if you had more than six months, which, which makes sense. So, and you're heavily reliant on a home exercise program throughout the day. So it's, it's a lot of therapy, it's a lot of cognitive retraining, and then the little boost of the medication, and people are well on their way with a 78% um, having a reduction in dizziness long term. So it, it's a treatable problem. We just have to be really good as providers of figuring out who fits in this bucket and, and selling these additional therapies to the patient where they might be resistant because they don't want to be put on meds or they don't want to see a psychologist. So being able to really explain to them why their success rate will be so much better if they're willing to do so. So that's and, 3PD. Well, thank you. That, that, was a, that was a great one. Great. That was a very interesting podcast. Right. And uh, yeah, I think it's just also you know, you didn't say specifically, but it is that you indicated that patients is patients for all people doctors and 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 clients or patients whatever you call them people have patients need to just take their time and and just realize that it will take a while to do all this all the stuff the exercises and the education will take yeah will take time yeah i mean we've got to just educate ourselves there's some great articles like i just listed off those three would be enough to get you started um you know just really understanding that there's always more. You have to think outside the box, especially in these layered diagnoses. We can't just, oh, that person didn't fit that laminated protocol, so there must be something wrong with the person because it can't possibly be the treatment. We have right. to think about these people in these more complex patterns and, and how can we meet them where they're at. Um, and then they'll be successful. So if we do the right things um, for people and people are actively involved in their care, right? This is not a passive treatment. This is not me massaging your neck for an hour once a week kind of thing. This is a very heavily patient-involved activity. Um, but if you take control over your own recovery, you will get better, um, which is the most important thing to realize. That's great. Well, thanks so much. Thanks. Look, I have to go back and pick up my little – my. Uh, description of this podcast for my <laughs> my post on the website but uh in the meantime Lauren do you just tell us about where people can find out more from your website and uh yeah about 3p about whatever about you what you're doing in Phoenix concussion recovery yeah and, so uh, you can Find us on phoenixconcussionrecovery.com, phoenix like the town in Arizona or the mythical bird, phoenixconcussionrecovery.com. And we've got our um, exercise program that you can sign up for and, and follow the exercise program on there. You can follow me on at lzconcussion, lzconcussion on Twitter. Um, we have an Instagram page, but we're not very good about <laughs> posting to it. Um, <laughs> so the, the website and then, of course, this podcast. And you can find all of our podcasts through Nick's website on concussiontalk.com and then we have our own little tab for the Phoenix Concussion Recovery Podcast. So um, you can go back and check out our dysautonomia or our cognitive behavioral therapy and EMDR podcast if you had any questions about those sections of the podcast today. And thanks so much for listening and thanks for having me, Nick. Well, thank you and uh, thanks and thank you, Lauren. And, and everybody, if you have any questions, please, please uh, just do it. LZ Concussion at LZ Concussion on Twitter or on their Facebook page, or maybe my Facebook page, and, or in my Twitter account, Concussion Talk, and I'll get those questions to her. But uh, this was great, so thank you. 
As always, music at the beginning of this podcast is by Ben Sound, www.bensound.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.